are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins, where we use our occupational and academic backgrounds in criminology and medicine to tell you crime stories. I'm Chloe, here with my twin sister, Melina, to tell you this week's crime story. Melina, what is on your mind today? As I've mentioned a few times, one of my pastimes growing up, even as young as 10 or 11 years old, was consistently checking the FBI website, fbi.gov, all of the wanted pages, they were in sections. And the one that I gravitated towards were the kidnapping and missing persons. And there was one day in April 2011 when I was scrolling through that particular section where I saw a beautiful face. Her name, Holly Lynn Bobo, a 20-year-old nursing student who disappeared April 13th, 2011 in Darden, Tennessee. On the morning of April 13th, 2011, Holly Bobo was studying for a nursing exam. She was a student to become an LPN or licensed practical nurse at the Tennessee Technology Center in Parsons, Tennessee. She lived with her family, her father, Dana, and her mother, Karen, as well as her brother, Clint. Dana and Karen had already left for the morning. Holly was awake, studying, and Clint was apparently asleep. Just before 8 a.m., Clint woke up to dogs barking. He looked out the window and he saw his sister Holly crouched by the garage talking to somebody wearing camouflage. He thought that it was her boyfriend because he apparently was going turkey hunting that day. One of Holly's neighbors heard a scream, presumably Holly's, and called Karen at work. She was so alarmed by this that she immediately called the police and then she called Clint. Clint, still thinking that Holly was talking to her boyfriend outside, could not comprehend it when Holly's mom was telling him that she was in danger and that was not her boyfriend. She told him to get a pistol and shoot the guy. And he said, you want me to shoot Drew? Drew was the boyfriend. He still didn't get it. I don't know if he was half awake or what. There's a lot of theories about that, but we'll get to that. He watched this man in camouflage about six feet tall lead Holly into the woods And that was the last known sighting of her. Holly's family searched desperately for Holly for years. She was found in 2014, but it was not good news. She was found in the woods, not too far away from her home. She was skeletonized at that point. She was found by somebody that was going ginseng hunting. Her cause of death was a gunshot wound to the back of the head. Back to the day of the disappearance. By the time Clint got into sorts and retrieved a pistol to go after the man who was leading Holly away, they were gone. He went over to the garage where Holly was presumably headed towards so she could go to school, and he found a puddle of blood that was later determined to be hers. Police arrived at Holly's house 10 minutes after this, and she was long gone. Holly's cell phone was presumably still on her, and it was moving north away from her home. It kept pinging. The last place that it did ping was in a wooded area where her body was later found. Stopped there for about 20 to 30 minutes, and then the phone moved again. 
Eventually, the killer tossed the phone and the SIM card, and that was its last ping. When authorities searched the woods, they found Holly's lunchbox, a receipt with her name on it, and other items were scattered around town, including her cell phone. Local meth addict Zach Adams, his brother Dylan, and friend Jason Autry were arrested in March 2014, which was a few months before Holly's remains were found. Jeffrey and Mark Percy were arrested for accessory after the fact and tampering with evidence. These charges were later dropped. A different man, Shane Austin, committed suicide before he could be tried. So the three men remaining that were facing charges in Holly's death were Zach and Dylan Adams and Jason Autry. It is unknown why police closed in on them, but the investigation from the start was very sketchy. When police interviewed Dylan Adams, a man with an intellectual disability, he told police that he saw his brother Zachary wearing camouflage shorts, a black t-shirt, and green Crocs. Holly, according to him, was sitting in the living room wearing a pink shirt. She was described last seen wearing a pink t-shirt. Dylan said that Zach told him that he raped Holly and videotaped the whole thing, but no videotape has ever been found. Dylan did later say that this was coerced and not true, but basically this confession led to the arrest of everybody else. Shane Austin, who ended up committing suicide, was in contact with Zach Adams on the day that Holly disappeared and police believed that he helped dispose of the body. They were very suspicious that Shane Austin was lying to them. He killed himself a few months after Holly's body was found. After his death, his attorney said that it was a witch hunt and that he killed himself because they were ruining his life and that it wasn't because he was guilty. Another strange arrest was Jeff and Mark Percy. Those were the brothers charged with accessory after the fact and then the charges were dropped. These charges were based off of Jeff's former roommate, Sandra King. She said that she saw a video of Zach Adams raping Holly, who was tied up and crying. Since this video was never found and both brothers denied that this ever happened, charges were dropped. The trial of Zach Adams began in September 2017, over six years after Holly went missing. After a very emotional trial, which included Holly's mother literally fainting on the stand because she was just overcome with emotion and grief after seeing her daughter's lunchbox, Zachary was found guilty. There was no DNA or other forensic evidence that tied him to Holly. It was only the confession of Dylan Adams that he later claimed was coerced. Jason Autry's confession details how he helped Zach dispose of Holly. He claims that they drove under some bridge off of Interstate 40 and they were going to gut the body, probably meaning disembowel, so the body would not float because when a body decomposes it bloats because of the intestines mostly so I guess that's where they were going with that Jason Autry claimed that Holly wasn't yet dead but they thought that she was and that they heard her make a noise and then Zach shot her in the head and then they drove off because they were afraid somebody heard it Jason Autry claimed that Zach Adams dropped him off and he does not know or did not see where Holly was dumped but apparently Zach later told him that he dropped the body off near Kelly Ridge, but this was not where her body was ultimately found. Besides the confession, another piece of evidence was that one of Holly's neighbors saw a white truck 
driving around the neighborhood quickly the morning of the disappearance, but they didn't actually link his exact truck. That's a little bit vague. All three men charged denied involvement and claimed that they were innocent at some point. But it seems like Jason Autry decided to testify against Zach Adams because he didn't want jail time, which is clearly a motive to potentially lie. I honestly don't know if Zach Adams killed her, but it seems like there may not be enough evidence. And I think that he's probably going to appeal. It's very difficult to explain Clint Holly's brother's behavior the morning that she disappeared because a neighbor heard Holly scream, but that didn't seem to wake Clint up, according to him. What woke him up were dogs barking. He looks out the window and he sees his sister literally crouched down by the house talking to a mystery man. I don't know why he thought it was Drew. Maybe he's simple and he just kind of put two and two together like he knew he was hunting. So he's like, oh, it must be Drew. Maybe he didn't really know Drew that well. Who knows? But he didn't even believe his mom. Like, he didn't fully register what was going on, even after his mother told him, clearly. Later on, the Adams brothers said that they were trying to teach Clint Bobo how to make meth, but he denies this, and there's really no evidence. But that could be a potential connection. But then again, like so many other factors in this case, it's based off of speculation and unreliable testimony. Clint said that Holly looked angry or upset while talking to this man, and the only words that she could decipher coming from her were, no, why? He thought that she was breaking up with her boyfriend or something like that. I don't know why he wouldn't have gone outside and be like, hey, are you okay? Maybe he didn't want to get involved. I bet that's something that he regrets every single day. And now, a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Holly Bobo's murder trial, like so many others, was live streamed. And I was actually able to watch a live feed as it occurred. Melina had brought the case to my attention and I was interested from the start because it really is a true whodunit case. In my personal opinion, after seeing all of the variables presented at that trial, I think there is reasonable doubt regarding Zachary Adams' guilt and the story of Jason Autry. I think we don't know for sure. It obviously was a circumstantial case. I think the only thing that we have that's solid in that prosecution were the cell phone records, which connected Zachary Adams to Holly Bobo and tied Zachary Adams and Jason Autry to the area where Holly Bobo was shot. So that is basically the only forensic trail left behind in this case. Keep in mind, many years had passed for evidence to be disposed of, for evidence to decay, including Holly Bobo's body, which I'm sure if it weren't hidden and it were discovered in a timely manner, might contain forensic evidence, but that just was not the case. There were pictures presented of Holly Bobo's remains at her murder trial, and there was a very clear skull and bones. There was no tissue left behind. She was fully skeletonized. There was no evidence to be found there. We basically just have unreliable witness testimony from the brother, Dylan Adams, who, like we described, has an intellectual disability, which is characterized by having a below average IQ score. 
And this could limit someone's cognitive processing, their ability to process a question and answer effectively. And in such a way that is reflective of reality and the truth, they might be more prone to suggestion, such as in an interrogation setting. As Melina mentioned, Dylan Adams recanted his story, but that story was later reinforced during the trial by Jason Autry who reinforced everything that Dylan Adams had said during his initial confession regarding his involvement and, of course, the involvement of the main player here, who is allegedly, and well, now he's been convicted, so the convicted perpetrator of the abduction, rape, and murder of Holly Bobo. The testimony of Jason Autry was graphic and disturbing, and certain things seem too dark to invent in one's imagination, such as his quoting of Zach Adams saying, I couldn't have picked a prettier bitch. It was fun. It's hard to fathom as a non-sociopathic person, as a person who would never dream of harming another, to fathom making something like this up. Like, how could you even make this up? But keep in mind that Jason Autry was in a very undesirable community of that greater Darden, Tennessee area, along with Zach Adams. They were criminals. They were meth and morphine users. This was something that may have influenced and something that Zach Adams' defense team alleged influenced the public opinion, the jury's opinion, and even the judge's opinion regarding the guilt of Zach Adams, who was, of course, later convicted in the murder trial. The defense basically stated that it is a witch hunt, that this was the most expensive search and investigation regarding a missing person in Tennessee history. So they were alleging that law enforcement felt pressure to clear this case at any cost, even if it meant arrest and conviction of an innocent party. They also allege that the judge seemed overly chummy with the jury, giving them access to a football game, even though they were sequestered. He also made reference to many of them by name and described how he knew them. It certainly didn't portray the appearance of being impartial. So they felt that the judge was biased against Zach Adams, and in turn, the jury was. Some other factors they alleged biased the jury emotional upset and subsequent passing out of Holly Bobo's mother, Karen. Like Melina talked about, she was shown Holly's lunchbox, which was found in the woods, not far from where she was abducted, as was a receipt with her name on it and an inhaler, which Holly needed for medical reasons. Seeing these police photographs of these items, she started to cry. She said she felt sick and then she passed out, which caused an uproar in that court. Everybody stood up. Everybody was worried. The judge quickly sent the jury out. But according to the defense and others, the damage was done. They sympathized with the utter pain and visceral despair of Karen Bobo and therefore were going to rule in a sympathetic way to her. She clearly thought that Zach Adams was responsible and they didn't want to cause her further harm, according to those people. Karen was a very powerful speaker all in all. After Zach was found guilty, she had the 
final statement, the victim impact statement. And throughout that statement, she insisted that Zach Adams look at her and listen to every word that she was saying. She wanted her pain heard and she wanted her outrage regarding his actions acknowledged. This is just one person's opinion based on my visceral reaction to the way that he spoke and recounted details based on my lived experience with people who are deceitful chronically. I personally did not believe everything that Jason Autry was saying while he's testifying. It seemed that a lot of details were inspired to invoke shock in those that were listening and to be as humiliating and damaging towards certain parties such as the Adams brothers and even Clint Bobo as possible. I think he clearly had incentive to lie because he was going to avoid jail time if he incriminated Zach Adams. I just didn't get the impression that this was a truthful person. And I don't feel that way about all criminals or all people that are testifying in a situation where they're accused of a crime. There have been plenty of situations where I watch the way that somebody speaks, the remorse that they express, where I actually believe in their honesty. But that was just not the case here. And that doesn't mean that there wasn't some kernel of truth in what Jason Autry was saying. I'm just saying, I don't know. And I certainly wasn't moved by his earnestness throughout his testimony. I did feel that in Clint Bobo's testimony that he was being honest, but there was something off about him. Maybe there is some cognitive issue. Maybe he's on the spectrum. Maybe he has psychiatric issues and is on medication or is misusing substances. But there was something I couldn't quite put my finger on when I was watching his testimony. My immediate reaction was maybe he had some sort of cognitive or developmental disability and I think that could explain his rather alarming and inexplicable actions. Obviously, when people are half asleep, they can be on autopilot. And that's especially the case if they are hungover on alcohol or other substances, which Jason Autry implied that Clint Bobo was involved in. So if he was half asleep, but also still under the influence of a substance that could explain sleeping through a scream and a delayed and inappropriate reaction to a clearly violent and potentially fatal situation where his sister is in a tense situation with a stranger and is being led to the woods. He couldn't seem to move past the idea that Holly was talking to her boyfriend, Drew. And of course, when I first heard that, I'm like, well, maybe it was Drew, but they pretty much ruled Drew out. Before law enforcement zeroed in on the Adams brothers, Jason Autry, and others, they were initially suspicious of the Bobo family, according to Holly Bobo's father, Dana, in his testimony during Zach Adams' trial. He got frustrated with the police and felt like they weren't doing enough to go out and search the woods based on being suspicious of immediate family members, which is reasonable considering the fact that acquaintances, family members, intimate partners are way more likely to cause harm to someone than a complete stranger in a camouflage outfit that just appears out of the woods. So I understand that. But what he basically told the police was, you know, you can keep 10 officers in here to zero in on us, but send more out to look for her. They also investigated a registered sex offender named Terry Britt, who apparently in response to 
law enforcement showing up at his doorstep said, I didn't rape anybody, which is a odd and presumptuous thing to say, a chilling thing to say, which he later explained off by saying that he was aware of Holly Bobo's disappearance and knew why they were there because he thought that he was a natural scapegoat. The defense in the trial of Zach Adams did, in fact, try to place the blame on Terry Britt in an effort to give the jury some reasonable doubt on Zach Adams's guilt. Obviously, this was fruitless. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole for first-degree murder and especially aggravated kidnapping and aggravated rape. His brother, Dylan Adams, later entered an Alford plea and agreed to a plea bargain where he will serve 35 years in prison for facilitation of first-degree murder and especially aggravated kidnapping. 